Good evening and welcome to Talk of the Neighborhoods. I'm Joe Heisler, your host, coming to you from the BNN Live studios in Eggleston Square. Tonight, we're also being simulcast on our sister station, WBCA 102.9 FM on the radio dial. Tonight, we continue our coverage of election 2023 uh, with a uh, series of, uh, well, uh, many debates, we're calling them, uh, discussions, conversations, uh, and tonight we kick off the conversations with some of the at-large candidates, two of the at-large candidates, and then in the second half we'll catch up with a new candidate, first time running in District 9. All that and more tonight on Talk of the Neighborhood. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. All right, we're back with Talk of the Neighborhoods. I'm Joe Heisler, your host. Tonight, we continue our election 2023 coverage in the run-up to the November 8th City Council elections. And tonight, on the first half, uh, we'll start previewing the at-large candidates, two of the eight candidates running in the uh, fall election. Uh, there was no prelim, are here tonight, and uh, we'll talk with them about the uh, issues of the day. And in the second half, you'll meet uh, uh, first-time candidate running in District 9, Alston and Brighton. But first, the at-large race. Uh, and there will be at least one new face on the council, perhaps more, uh, as uh, Councilor Michael Flaherty, the uh, longest-serving uh, councilor at-large, uh, announced uh, this summer that he was not running for re-election. So, uh, we'll definitely see at least one new face and maybe more as we found out during the preliminary elections uh, there's an appetite amongst voters to to see some new faces some new energy on the council uh two of the incumbents uh mm -hmm. failed to make the runoff district councilors uh, uh ricardo arroyo in district five and in district six uh, kendra lara well uh joining us tonight on this first half uh uh, At-large counselor uh, Aaron Murphy's running for uh, re-election, re and also uh, making her second attempt at uh, uh, city council. Uh, she's an at-large candidate, uh, Bridget Nee Walsh. Nice to have Thank you. Thank you both for here. having me. Thanks yeah, so much thank for coming you. in tonight. 
Well, why don't we start out this way, uh, just in case uh, some of our, our viewers aren't sure. familiar with us. Uh, tell us, uh, tell our viewers what makes you uh, different, unique, hmm. better than the other seven candidates that you're running against. And, sure. uh, where shall we start? We're going to start with... Uh, sure. Do you want to go first? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, um, as you know, I'm running for re-election, and it took me two times. I ran in 19 and then got in on in the 2021 election. But to me, I feel what sets me apart from the other um, current counselors and then the candidates that we're running against for the November 7th election is I'm a hard worker. I show up in all of the neighborhoods. The one thing different about an at-large counselor is, you know, you represent the whole city and district councils really dig into their neighborhood. And sometimes you're not really sure who your at-large counselor is or if they're you know going to events all across the mm -hmm. city and i do take it very seriously to make sure that we're in all of the neighborhoods listening to the needs because in many ways the residents in the city of boston have a lot of things in common but different neighborhoods and different populations really do have specific needs so it's important that i show up and listen and do the work so i've been working hard and Delivering. Not true of all the other counselors? Uh, I'm saying, but for me, definitely, I, I show up more. I, I do think I do, working, you know, seven days a week. I feel like I never came off the campaign trail <laughs> from two years ago where it's working every day. Um, I'm not saying my colleagues don't work, but what sets me apart definitely is taking my job also very seriously. Um, you know, the council side of it also, not just in the neighborhoods mm -hmm. and the constituent service calls that are, uh, to me, the number mm -hmm. one part of our job is delivering on constituent services and making sure that we pick up the phone. When someone calls, they want to hear your voice on the other end. Uh, to them, that's usually their most important call. If they're going to call a city council, they really have a need. So I do believe it's also the relationships that I've built these last two mm -hmm. years in city government because you have to then know how to turn around and connect them with a certain department mm -hmm. and make sure that you can help them. So you like to think you work harder and you've definitely work you've yeah. made some progress. And for those that uh, may not be familiar, you're a former Boston public school yeah, teacher. teacher. Yeah. You live in, in Dorchester. Dorchester, right? yes. Yeah. Teacher. 24 years. A mom. My youngest will be 24 this week, so wow. been a mother for 34 years. Wow. Yeah, born and go. raised here in the city teacher and also on the council side right it's like showing up to the hearings the meetings making sure mm -hmm. that you know to me it's it's a privilege and honor to be one of the 13 city councils of the city of mm -hmm. boston and i think the city and the residents deserve the respect that i do bring to this office so it's working hard but also respecting the the office mm -hmm. and the position that they put me in that I, I'm not going to let them down. All right. Yeah. Uh, Bridget, what about you? What, what makes you different? Help us help, and help our, our viewers that may not be familiar with you uh, know what you're about as well. Um, well, I have a background in art. So I have my Bachelor's of Fine Art with concentrations in art education and art history. So I'm an artist turned union iron worker. <laughs> I learned how to weld in sculpture. Um, only to nanny for a couple of years after college and then found my way into the trades, you know, mm -hmm. to, to get that health insurance and annuity and pension yeah, sure. and yeah. mm -hmm. be able to make a sustainable living. Um, I think I'm strong and I'm resilient. Uh, I was the first female instructor to the apprenticeship program for Local 7. And then I earned being the first female ever elected to the board in 
the executive board for Local 7. So I think... The iron um, workers. In the iron workers, workers yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I know what it's like to, to be professional, to hold a meeting, to, to keep everyone in control, um, to collaborate with everybody. You don't always Those have to... Those iron workers never lose their, their oh, cool. Oh, yeah, they don't lose their cool at all. Yeah. <laughs> but when you're on top of a building, yes. you've got to work together yeah. for sure. Exactly, yeah. Our life, life or is, death. Yeah. yeah, our life's in each other's hands on top of the building, but across an e-board table, it's a little different. <laughs> um, but at the end of the day, I mean, it, it gets loud, it gets rowdy. But you, know, you shake hands, you say, you know, I, I feel this way about this, and that's why I'm so passionate, and you know, I feel this way, and you walk away. You, you're, still, you're still colleagues. You're not arch enemies. You know, you shake hands, and you move on to the next meeting, mm -hmm. and you start over. Now, you came up short the last time you ran. What made you decide to run again this time? Um, I, I had already put in so much work, and I, and I really loved, I loved being on the campaign trail. I loved hitting every neighborhood um, from East Boston to West Roxbury and hearing all the different concerns and complaints of each neighborhood. And I, I as an at-large candidate, I would treat, you know, as we cover the whole neighborhood, I would treat every neighborhood as if I was their district counselor. I think that's what we need. We just need people that show up, answer the phone, and act in a professional manner. Like being from South Boston, you know, there's no shortage of mm -hmm. mentorship and politics. I'm sure, mm -hmm. lots of people are. Well, a as you probably know, uh, you know, it's been kind of a, and I'm sure Aaron, I don't, I don't think you disagree, it's been kind of a rocky couple of years on the council. Uh, uh, some, some, uh, some have described it, described it as a toxic environment and uh, uh, some would wonder why why you would even want to you know go to a place like that. But uh, can you can you get along with people? Because uh, part of it was you know I, people just didn't seem to get along as as much as they used to in years past. And I, I might be overstating it. And we'll give uh, Aaron a chance to talk about it too. But can you uh, can you get along with uh, Aaron? What about all those other people? That, uh, <laughs> It's a tough crowd up there sometimes. There'll be some new faces as well, so I'm, yeah. I'm sure it'll be a you know, somewhat different environment, but still. Yeah, I, I think I can work with anyone. I mean, being an iron worker, my job, the location changes every couple months, the whole gang changes every couple months. You know, there's kind of, there's always one jerk. <laughs> there's always one jerk. But that doesn't matter what atmosphere you're in, you know. Right? You could be in an office, you could be on a job site. There's always going to be that one guy or woman, but yeah, I think, I can work with anyone, and we need we need to work together. Yeah. And Nothing, you weren't discouraged you know, by what you saw over the past couple of years? No, no, not at all. I mean, in the union, as we sit around that e-board table, the one thing we have in common is that we're all making decisions for the betterment of the union, for the betterment of the membership. And on the city council, it's you're making these decisions for the betterment of Boston, for the betterment of the you know, of the neighborhoods, of the residents, and of the children. You want the children to grow up in a beautiful right. environment, in mm -hmm. a safe environment. Yeah. What about you, Aaron? You think it's, uh, if you're fortunate enough to be reelected, yes. it's gonna be uh, better? Uh, different. This time, different, sure. certainly. Uh, I, I, I'm assuming part. Uh, it will be different because it won't be the same 13. So like you said, as a classroom teacher, I mean, every September, it's always very different because you get a new group mm -hmm. of kids and you 
kind of figure each other out. Yeah. Um, but you weren't discouraged by. Uh, oh, I was all discouraged many I, times. I, I, I oh, know no, you, you I came definitely. In and you talked and yeah. You, Oh, I'm not going to say I wasn't discouraged, yeah. but I was also discouraged by the media or people who wanted to, you know, call it a clown show and kind of put a blanket over mm -hmm. all of us. Mm -hmm. um, one thing that is different from the city council than other departments and even the mayor's office and government is that we air our, you know, laundry out every Wednesday on TV, mm -hmm. and so people get to see. But there's departments in the city that aren't working well either that we have to make sure we get better at there's you know the mayor doesn't have to put a camera on when they're having their cabinet meetings and mm -hmm. others so in our defense a little bit that there definitely have been times where councils didn't act a way that I def would ever act or think it was productive to move this city mm -hmm. forward but to think that we're the only um, you know group in the city that needs to do a better job at remembering why we're there in our case obviously we're elected by the people mm -hmm. But I'm there to lift the voices of the residents across the city, and I'll just continue to show up and do that. Some meetings are produ more productive than others, but you don't give up, right? You just keep showing up, and you keep advocating, and you find ways to make those connections and get things done. But you can't. So you're confident uh, things will... Definitely confident. <laughs> I mean, we're, we're losing Council of Flaherty, you mentioned, mm -hmm. but also um, the longest consecutive serving um, councilor, my district councilor also, we're yeah, losing councilor Frank Baker, yeah. who, you know, I, I always say, he, you know, he tells you how it is, but yeah. he speaks from his heart and he's not afraid to yeah. advocate on behalf of the people. And that, that's definitely um, how I feel I take this job from up. That? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, how I went in feeling also that when I stand up or advocate for an issue, it doesn't have to even always be what I completely agree with, but if the neighborhood or the people are really pushing something, a lot of development is going through now. We're in a housing crisis. I know we need to build. I know we need more housing, but there's neighborhoods who are feeling like their voices aren't heard. And so sometimes when you push back and you know oppose the administration policy, it's not always politically smart, right? Because then you might get you know, pushed out of some conversations or lose some. But I think for me at the end of the day, it's important that I'm answering to the people who elected me, not to the okay, city Well, mayor. speaking of uh, <laughs> uh, meetings where you may or may not uh, uh, have a voice or as much of a voice as you like, I, I know you, uh, Council, you just came from my hearing mm. on the mass whole mass and cast mm. situation and uh, yes. uh, wondering, uh, what you think we should be doing hmm. down there. Is the situation yeah. getting better? No. We're approaching, the weather's getting colder. Yeah. Now we go in it? cycles with the season, right? So the first snow, the first really cold, fr fr you know, cold night, less and less we'll sleep outside. So we're gonna go into the next few months where there'd be less tents anyway, but absolutely not. Since October of 2014, when the bridge went down and the shelter was placed there in that area, in Mass and Cass, where there's a lot of other services to support those struggling with substance use, it's only gotten worse each year. Yeah. And well, today, uh, right? Are, the, are you supportive of uh, this uh, now? The uh, and correct me if I'm wrong. Called the tent or ordinance. Sure. Uh, or, I uh, I have from the, day um, one been supportive of taking the tents down. Uh -huh. um, they're on pr private property also on public streets now we're blocking entire roadways not just sidewalks 
And we know that on any given day, over 200 people are in that one stretch on Atkinson Street, and more than half are not struggling or suffering homelessness. It's not a homeless issue. It's, there are definitely people sleeping on the street in tents who are in a bad place and need recovery. They're not going to get better if they're next yeah. to drug dealers and there's crime, there's women being yeah. raped and sex trafficked and there's guns. So there's definitely one of the things that came out of that hearing, uh, I was leaving after six hours, it was still going on, is there's, the police already have the powers to arrest illegal behavior. We don't have to have a tent ordinance to arrest illegal behavior. Why, why, is, it, why is it then that the uh, tent ordinance is being put forward? Um, I, I don't know, and the mayor has the power, and I respect that we are a strong mayor power city, mm -hmm. and she absolutely has the power to make it an executive order that could have gone into effect immediately. Um, to remove the tents? To remove the tents, or yeah. she could have, and they even said today, the administration who came, we don't even need an executive order that if you're blocking private and private property entrances to businesses down there and you're also stopping traffic going through the street there's already laws that we have we don't need another law we don't need another ordinance to clean it up down there we do need to make sure we have enough resources for low threshold housing if that's right. the option this administration is going in. I'm not 100% in favor of that. I'm, I'm recovery first. Of course, people need to be housed in a dignified mm -hmm. way. They need to have a bed, but. Well, and, and, and I want to talk some more about, especially the housing piece, but, but I want to uh, bring Bridget in. Uh, it's been a lot of hand wringing over this for lack of a better term what the city should or should not be doing, uh, uh, what resources are available. I definitely don't have the answer. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't think there is one answer that would blanket it. I, I think we do need more resources um, to help people struggling. I don't think you can, you know. What kind of resources do, are you thinking? Um, sobriety resources, yeah. Yeah. you know, I don't, I don't think. Treatment. You don't get sober in three days or three weeks or three months. Mm -hmm. It's. It's three process. years to life. It's a whole process, mm -hmm. and we have a lot of resources there. Like like Aaron said, in the same area, where resources need to be spread out. You know, nobody wants it in their neighborhood, but it's something that needs to happen. They they need to be spread spread out. I mean, you have a jail, a shelter, a methadone clinic, a needle exchange, a hospital. A yeah. hospital. You know, All it's, it's kind of the recipe. Blocks of each other. Have you? Has the uh, mayor taken the right tack, as far as you're concerned? Um, I think she's she's making positive efforts, um, but I think it needed to be addressed immediately. Mm -hmm. You know, she um, needs to be more aggressive, or yeah, I think it's definitely it's at the point where somebody needs to to make the move. Oh. Certainly, uh, you know, a big part of it, and people keep pointing to. Uh, uh, the island, the bridge, and of course uh, that could be in court for, for years yeah. on end. But and uh, one thing about Long Island is we had the homeless shelter on Long yeah. Island, and when the bridge came down, that's when the homeless shelter ended up in that area yeah. at Mass and Cass, and that's a majority of the people that you see in that area. The homeless shelter, if there's ever a world-class recovery center on Long Island, the homeless shelter is not going back. 
it's only going to be recovery services, detox beds, right. which means there's still... So it's not going to be yeah. shelter this beds. This idea that the population that we see right now, if we drove down Southampton Street right now, I would say a majority, over 90% of the people that you see there right now would not be people who are ready or ever going to want or need mm. a spot on Long Island. Well, now, the uh, state has put forward, and, and uh, I think, I'm not sure, but I believe the mayor has, has voiced some support for uh, uh, knocking down the, uh, the Shattuck Hospital, the uh, chronic care hospital that's been there for years and years, and, and creating housing there for homeless people. Is that something that you could support, Bridget? I think we need to help them recover before we house them. I, I almost think housing should be more of an incentive. So putting um, the cart before the horse there? Yeah. Uh, I think, you know, we have a lot of families living in shelters. We have people that have been on lists for years waiting to get a house, and we need to deal with that also. We mm -hmm. definitely have a huge shortage of housing, but you know, we have children being raised in shelters. Yes. They also need a home. They also need, you know, humane efforts put towards them. Aaron mentioned earlier that, you know, there's a lot of development going on, and you can see that in just about every neighborhood. Mm -hmm. uh, is that the key to uh, getting out of this housing crisis, or what would you have the city do? As an iron worker? Yes. <laughs> yes. Right. We always need steel. to build. Steel <laughs> can we make all of these houses out of steel? <laughs> um, yeah, we, we definitely do need to keep building. We, yeah. you know, where else would it come from? Yeah. Not everybody we in the neighborhood wants more development. Though. We have to we find to, a balance. Yeah, we need to keep families in the city. We need to keep seniors mm -hmm. in the city. We need to keep veterans mm -hmm. home. People are being displaced, yeah. Yeah. Um, I, you know, my, my parents are 82 and 92. Mm -hmm. And talking to some of my dad's friends from when he was growing up, They've since moved out to Quincy and Weymouth, and they're at the age where they've already retired their license. And if the building they move into doesn't have, you know, functions like poker night and movie night and the games, they turn into shut-ins. Yeah. You know, like Boston, people that are, that have lived in Boston yeah. for so long shouldn't be pushed out. They should be kept here. We have all the resources for them. Right. If Just you are elected. What's the one thing, well, when people go to the ballot box uh, on November 8th, I think that's right. What November do you want 7th. The, 7th. 7th. 7th? Yeah. 7th? Yeah. Oh, yeah, we were talking about the 8th because the day, day after. after. <laughs> the 7th is election day. The 8th is Early the day Early voting of rest. is starting soon. <laughs> Mail-in <laughs> ballots. That's what we were thinking. That's what it is. We were thinking of the day what, of rest. What, what do you want people to remember about you? What do you want them to think of when, um, I think I represent the blue-collar worker, the working family. Um, my, my biggest thing is vocations. We currently have one vocational school in the city of Boston. Mm -hmm. Again, our kids are getting pushed out to Quincy and Middlesex and different places for vocation. Um, in college isn't for everybody, and there needs to be another mm -hmm. option there. So you support the uh, revamping of the uh, uh, Madison Park... Uh um, I do, but in the, well, in expansion. The, uh, I think we need we need five vocational schools in Boston by 2030. Yeah. But in so the not meantime, just one big one. no, not just one big one. But in the meantime, a, a quicker fix 
would be by 2025, we could bring a vocation to every Boston Public High School. How's that? How would you do that? Um, well, years ago, you know, Charlestown had electric. South Boston mm -hmm. had sheet metal. My dad went to Charlestown High for yeah. the electrical. You'd go to High Park High for plumbing, I think. Yeah. yeah. So, so yeah. a lot of these people I'm, I'm working with in the trades, and they're on the brink of retirement, and there's really nobody mm -hmm. to pass the torch to. You know, John Bosco's closed, sure. John Savio's yeah. closed. And I think the trades really offer the answer to everything, the, the answer to you know, more affordable housing. Now you're giving people careers, not just jobs. Mm -hmm. You're helping them make a sustainable a living. Wage, you're right. Yep, mm -hmm. annuity, pension. Um, gives the kids something to do. Like, it gives them a sense of worth. So then you're fighting the gangs and the, the gun violence. If people have a, a sense of purpose and a self, sense of self-worth, you know, they'll just be more productive overall. Okay, very good, very good. Uh, Aaron, uh, you've kind of made your mark in, in a sense. I know you've yeah. been working on education issues as well, mm -hmm. but uh, what would you like uh, them well, to think of? Uh, um, yeah. Not the, uh, not the, uh, the, the I'm not the, one of them. <laughs> no, I, I think I've done a good job of separating myself out from that chaos that some people see on the council, that it's all about trusting your elected officials, knowing, and I say this all the time, we may not always agree, but you're gonna know where I stand on an issue. One thing I do that m most politicians don't, and oftentimes people ask me why I do it so much, is I, I put my press releases out, I put my, you know, my name on the line where I tell people where I stand, I don't try to stay out of an issue, right? I don't try to mm -hmm. stay under the radar. Um, so there's people who don't always agree with me, but at the end of the day, I think I've earned way more respect that people respect that I show up and I don't change my story, right? When you I'm still in West, might get a vote, mm -hmm. right? Uh, yeah, <laughs> that they say, well, thank you for being honest. I say, well, you know, it's, it's all about making sure that you're not promising things you can't deliver mm -hmm. on. So absolutely making sure that they remember that I was the, the counselor who kept her campaign promises mm -hmm. of working hard, showing up every day. And one thing before I forget, because um, when you're, I'm still kind of new, but when you're a candidate, sometimes you forget to mention things. But Bridget didn't mention that she's a single mom. She has a, a young daughter. She raises her nephew. Yeah. She's the primary caregiver to her mother and goes to work every day. And on the last few weekends on the campaign trail on Sundays, I've seen her and she's coming from soccer practice. I keep asking, yeah. how come another oh, parent yeah. can't? Soccer coach? Yes. She's coaching because yes. they don't have a coach. <laughs> I'm like, someone has to step up. You have yeah. campaigning to do. So I think that's yeah. what the city needs, right? That we need people who just have lived a life, right? I raised my kids as a you yeah. know, single mom myself in the city, went to work every day as a Boston public school teacher. Life is hard for lots of people, mm -hmm. right? And uh, all of us, right? Life yeah. is challenging, but to show people that, you know, you can get through your challenges and that I, I do believe yeah. that I'm a voice for people on the council and I'll continue to do us. that. And still hold your composure and be professional. Yeah. Well, there you go, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, again, uh, you know, Councillor Aaron Murphy, uh, candidate Bridget uh, Nee Walsh, uh, two of the eight candidates running at large. Uh, the top four finishers will be elected to the Boston City Council at large. And uh, uh, tonight and in the coming weeks, you'll meet the other candidates as well. 
ladies, thanks so much for coming in and joining Thank us. You. Thank you. Thank you. Best of luck to you. And Appreciate Absolutely. it. When we come back, uh, we'll change gears a bit. Uh, still, uh, city council politics uh, look at the District 9 city council race. Uh, we'll be talking with uh, one of the candidates from there, uh, Jacob de, de Blake Court, uh, will be joining us. He's a uh, former city council aide and uh, community activist uh, making his first run for office. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. do an aerospace engineer, cancer immunologist, and bat scientist all have in common? We all have cool jobs in STEM fields. Whether it's building robots or learning to code, girls everywhere are finding their passion for science, technology, engineering, and math through positive role models and mentors. So dare to dive in, get connected, and explore. You never know what your future may hold. Learn more about these and even more cool jobs at SheCanSTEM.com. I think it's just vapor with flavor. It won't hurt my kid like cigarettes, right? Vaping is safer than smoking, isn't it? There's really not even that much nicotine in them, right? My kid? My kid, my kid knows it's dangerous. Get your head out of the cloud. Today, nearly 8,000 kids will start vaping, maybe even yours. Learn about the dangers at talkaboutvaping.org. Hey boss, you okay? Yeah, I'm good. You sure? I said I'm fine. Since I was little, it was only like me and my parents. You think you created family out of characters? Yeah, of course. <laughs> I'm gonna take that make it into a song. for the real ballers and shot callers, the sisterhood of women in tech. They're discovering cures, building apps and programming the blockchain. They're CEOs, worldwide hustlers who can make it rain. They're tearing down the old boys club and seeing big gains. Cause when women in tech come together, you know they make that change.
about safe driving. All right, let's go. Anytime you're driving, have the seatbelt buckle tight. Both hands on the wheel and your phone out of sight. When not in your hand trying to text somebody back. Because if you do, your car might get smacked. The moral of the story, just put your phone down. The people on the road will stay safe and sound. Put your phone down, put your phone down. People on the road will stay safe and sound. Yeah. All right, we're back with Talking About Neighborhoods. I'm Joe Heisley, your host tonight. Election 2023 coverage. Uh, we continue, uh, of course. Uh, you met many of the candidates, especially in uh, district races prior to the preliminary election. And now, as we get closer to the November 7th uh, final election, you'll, you'll meet the rest of the candidates. Well, we hope you'll meet all of them. Uh, earlier, you met, you met two of the at-large candidates running. And in this segment, uh, I'm pleased to have joining me a first-time candidate uh, who's running in District 9, that's Alston and Brighton, and uh, he's a former city council aide, also a community activist, uh, uh, Jacob de Blaycourt. And that's nice me. to have you here. Thanks so much Thank for coming so much in and joining me. us. Uh, uh, well, uh, what made you decide? Of course, you got a taste of what uh, city council politics is like. It's not always... Uh, <laughs> Rosie, but uh, what made you decide to run and tell our viewers more about yourself? Uh, yeah, well, first, thank you so much for allowing me on your program. Uh, I decided that I wanted to run for city council when I started working for the city council, and I started to see how they did business there. I started working as the director of public policy for Councilor Mejia's office in January of 2020, mm -hmm. and then in March of 2020, of course, the whole world shut down. Within the first week of lockdown, I was working with community members to create new community spaces where none had, had existed before. I was working on drafting progressive legislation to address some of the inequities that we saw that were going on during the pandemic, and really trying to make sure that we were addressing people's needs with the urgency that they were needed. That was my experience as a legislative director. My experience as a renter and a resident of Alston Brighton was one where I was paying $50 to get an Uber to go to East Boston, because that was the only place I could get a COVID test. We were one of the last neighborhoods to get a COVID vaccine site. Um, we saw the loss of amazing art institutions like the Great Scott and the Wonder Bar. Um, the current process around the Jackson Man closure and the redesign of Ringer Park are all really tenuous at the moment. And I think that we need someone who's going to be proactive and get ahead of these issues before they reach their breaking point. And that's exactly why I wanted to get into this race, because as someone who worked for the city council, I've seen the power that they can have to influence the city and to be a good representation for the community. We just need the right representation to make mm -hmm. sure that that happens. Well, uh Liz Braden is the current city councilor, and she's running for re-election. And I should tell our viewers, we invited the councilor to join us tonight uh, in a, for a joint appearance with uh, Mr. de Blaycourt. And uh, due to uh, scheduling problems, conflict, she could not be here tonight. We hope to have her on in a future program. But uh, uh, is she not doing the job? What, what, uh, what uh, made you decide that uh, she needs to be, you know, yeah, I think there are three main distinctions that separate uh, Liz from myself. Number one is lived experience. I'm a renter. Uh, Alston Brighton is a majority renter neighborhood. We're not represented by a renter. And I think you see the impact of that when it comes to the policies that the city council is passing. So, for example, the city council passed a uh, a uh, home rule petition to bring back rent control in the city of Boston. Mm -hmm. But the ordinance that they passed, uh, the maximum cap for uh, rent increases is 10%. 10% of my rent is $300 a month. 
I can't afford $300 more a month, and most of my friends and neighbors can't afford $300 more a month. So I feel like because there was a lack of lived experience about, about what it means to be a renter mm -hmm. in Alston Brighton in 2023. She's a homeowner? She is a homeowner, yes. Okay. And you know, Alston Brighton is a majority renter neighborhood, but we also have homeowners. I wanna see if you're someone who is a homeowner, you should be absolutely be able to get into a home. But the fact of the matter is, is that in order to address the housing crisis now, we need to have more supports for renters. And so I feel like there's a lack of lived experience when it comes to that, so that's number one. Number two is professional experience. Uh, I think there's gonna be a lot of rhetoric in this election around what it means to be a progressive. I think it's important to look at not the rhetoric, but at the record. My record of uh, not only supporting progressive legislation, but drafting it on the city council, I think is important for the voters of this district to know. Um, I drafted the ordinance that uh, created new language access policies for the city of Boston, expanding the number of languages that the city had to provide translation and interpretation services to. I drafted the ordinance that created the Commission on Black Men and Boys. I drafted the ordinance that uh, created created uh, retail residential kitchens in the city of Boston, which allows entrepreneurs to start a business without having to go uh, dive deep into the incredibly expensive rents of owning a brick and mortar. These are things that I think are small in scope, but big in impact, and it's the kind of things that the city council can do well if we have the right representation. And then the third is, is priorities. You talked about you know, the relationship between renters and homeowners. As I mentioned previously, Alston Brighton is a majority renting neighborhood, but if you look on the policy platform of my opponent, renters are barely mentioned. And there's only so many homeownership training classes that you can funnel people into before you realize that the best way to get good homeowners is to get good renters. And if we want good renters, we need to be creating more access to income-restricted housing, increasing the supply of affordable housing, and strengthening tenant protections. Well, what what would you have uh, done? And uh, you know, as you worked on the council, you know it's always a balancing act. You're it is, trying, yeah. There's various interests, and you're trying to find, sometimes you have to compromise, but mm -hmm. uh, what would you uh, have done in terms of a uh, housing ordinance? Um, I think that if you listen to a lot of the advocates that are out there already, they have a lot of really important um, solutions. I think that we need to um, re-examine how we're applying rent control, looking at some of those restrictions. Mm -hmm. For example, one of the restrictions that were uh, was initially in there uh, was that it wouldn't apply to residences of six or, four, or, or uh, fewer units. Mm -hmm. uh, I live in a building that has six or fewer units, so I would not be able to uh, benefit from rent control. Likewise, um, the rent control home rule petition says that it only applies to people who are renewing their lease. Um, in Alston Brighton, roughly a third of the residents that live there have moved somewhere within Suffolk County within the last year. So that 30%, all of them are rent, all of those who are renters are not gonna be able to utilize mm -hmm. rent control. So that's part of it. I also think that we kind of need to take a step back and understand that rent control is one tool of many in supporting um, renters staying in their homes and planting roots in their community. So it's not just rent control, but it's also making sure that we have stronger tenant protections when it comes to things like fire safety. Um, my unit did not have a smoke detector in it for over a year, despite the fact that I was texting my landlord over and over mm -hmm telling them that we needed that to happen. Um, and likewise, when I'm out knocking on doors, uh, I asked people who are renters whether or not they've paid an application fee. Uh, because the Attorney General's office came out recently, actually in response to a story of a renter in Alston uh, who pushed back against application fees, the Attorney General's office said that we shouldn't have to pay those. But every renter that I've spoken to has paid an application fee. So there's a huge gap in terms of the policies that we're putting out there and the knowledge of those policies in, amongst mm -hmm. the constituency. And I've always said that a good policy that's only on paper is just pretty words. Right. Who should be uh, enforcing that if that's uh, an existing that uh, uh, rule, regulation, law? I'm not sure uh, that that uh, no application fee is necessary. Uh, who who should be enforcing that? Is that a city function, or is that uh, 
what would you like to see hap happen there? I think that there's a role that the city council and the city at large needs to play when it comes to supporting tenant protections, because obviously, you know, a lot of that stuff does go through to the attorney general's office, but the city council is typically the first call that someone will make when they're in distress. You know, no one calls their government when everything's okay. Yeah. They're calling when they have a problem, and it's our responsibility as city councilors to direct them to the correct resources. So part of that is taking them to the attorney general's office to get satisfaction there, but part of it is also making sure that we have the resources to make sure that the units in our city are safe and habitable and welcoming and accessible. So that means that we need to have way more support in the inspectional services department, that's ISD. Uh, we need to make sure that the quality of life outside of the buildings is also high. Um, we need more money for things like Department of Public Works. Um, we have a huge rat issue in the neighborhood. Um, actually, in the most recent uh, council amended budget, my opponent voted to decrease uh, funding for the Department of Public Works. Why in Rat City of all places we're taking away money for people who pick up our garbage is beyond me. But we need to do a lot more to make sure that we are providing the accurate city services that will address these issues and that requires uh, funding and that requires having um, city council representation that is more intentional about fighting for the budget realignments mm -hmm. that we need. What about the mayor? How's she doing? Is she, uh, you think, supportive enough of uh, the also Brighton neighborhood? Well, I think with the mayor's most recent proposal when it comes to zoning reform, I think we're starting to move in the right direction when it comes to how we're looking at housing affordability. The relationship between the zoning code and how affordable our housing stock is is very directly related. So I'm really optimistic that we're starting to look at ways in which we can use the tools that we do have as a city, as opposed to always having to go to the state to get permission mm -hmm. for things, looking at the tools that we do have at our disposal and starting to think critically about how we can invest in those resources. There's also a lot of things going on, especially when it comes to development in the neighborhood, that we kind of need to be a lot more proactive with. You know, Harvard owns a third of all the land in Alston, mm -hmm. and how they're developing on that land right now, I don't feel is 100% in line with what the community's needs are. So I think that that is something that the mayor has been acting on, but we also need local representation mm -hmm. that is going to be super active in holding Harvard and all the institutions accountable in our district. We're a very institution-heavy district, obviously, because we have Harvard, sure. we have BC, St. Elizabeth's, and Brighton Marine, um, and all these different institutions. New Balance is headquartered there. Right. Um, so we really need to make sure that we're tapping into the resources of our neighborhood and to the tools at our disposal as a city council and a city administration to make sure that we're doing everything we can to keep our neighborhood affordable. Uh, and, you know, as uh, Councilor Brayden, uh, what about the state reps? Are you got two very important uh, state uh, reps there, uh, the majority leader, Michael Moran, mm -hmm. the... Uh, uh, Kevin Honan was the chair of the housing committee for yes, many, many right. years. Uh, have you talked to them? Are, are they uh, on board with some of your ideas? Yeah, I was actually speaking with Representative Honan last night about a particular constituent issue in the neighborhood. Um, so uh, Ringer Playground is in Olmstead Park. It's the gem of Alston as far as I'm concerned, and it's currently going through a, a redesign process. Mm -hmm. um, I'm really concerned about the redesign process right now for a couple of reasons. One is that Ringer Park is directly behind the Jackson Man. Uh, which is also currently going through a redesign process. Mm -hmm. That redesign process is being handled by BCYF, and the park redesign process is being handled by the Parks Department. And it doesn't seem like there's a whole lot of conversation happening between the two. Mm -hmm. I think we need to see it as one complex and one facility. And then there are also some smaller issues around how we're going to make sure that the neighborhood interests are being represented. There's a need for a dog park in that neighborhood. Where is that dog park going to be? That is up for the debate mm -hmm. at the current moment. And I think what's really exciting about the city council election, and one of the things that I really want the, the voters to understand is that we have the opportunity to get progressivism right in the city, big or small, because whether you're fighting for abundant, affordable housing for everyone, or you're fighting for a dog park in a neighborhood, mm -hmm. this is something that requires a lot of active and intentional well, proactivity. And, and, and I want to ask you about that, because of course, you know, some, and I'm playing a little devil's advocate here, mm -hmm. some some uh, uh, pundits, some critics say, uh, you know, the city council is, is too progressive. Mm -hmm. They're to, they've been taken over by the how the loony left, as, uh, <laughs> as it was described to me. Conversely, uh, of course, a couple of the uh, 
perhaps most con uh, progressive voices on the council. Uh, uh, we're talking about Councilor Arroyo mm -hmm. and Councilor Lara did not get reelected or did not move on to the final election. What does that say about uh, how the city looks at it and yeah. and the chances for a progressive like you running in? Yeah, for sure. Uh, I don't see what happened during the preliminary election as any sort of blowback on being a progressive. Uh -huh. I honestly feel like it's a blowback on being unproductive. <clears throat> um, it's a Excuse total me. blowback on being unproductive because well, like I said previously, we have an obligation as progressives in the city to show people that we can get it right, whether it's big or small, because, you know, I'm a progressive because I think that housing is a fundamental human right, but I'm also a progressive because I think we should have fully funded libraries, parks, and public schools, yeah. and that if you call 311 for a rat issue, they have the resources to take care of it, which is why I see myself as the progressive in this race, because we owe it to our constituents to get it right, even when it comes to the small details, and I think a great example of that is the language access ordinance that I was talking about earlier. Like, that is a very small in scope issue that has huge impact when it comes to how uh, residents of this neighborhood and of the city are able to get access to information and resources. It's a huge issue that needs to get uplifted, and that was something I was able to do as a staffer, and I feel like if that's what I'm able to do as a staffer, I think people are going to be blown away by what mm -hmm. I can do as a counselor. Again, uh, Jacob uh, de Blaycourt uh, is making his first run for uh, public office, running for District 9 City Council. That's Alston and Brighton uh, on the ballot November 7th. Uh, he's facing off against uh, the incumbent counselor there, uh, Liz Braden, and uh, we've got a few minutes left with uh, what, what would you say is the uh, most important lesson that you took from your time working on the council? What, what did you learn there that's, uh, if you are elected, going to make you the best counselor you could be? That's a great question. I think the most important thing that I learned during my time at the city council is, I remember it was my first day when I got the job. Mm -hmm. Someone of you know <clears throat> relative importance in the city kind of sat me down and gave me a talk about how the city council works. Mm -hmm. And they basically said there are two kinds of city councilors. You've got your real, true, policy wonk, actual legislators, and then you've got you know, your fix-a-pothole city councilors. Right. And the implication of that was that you could only be one or the other, right. and that one was clearly better than the other. But after spending so many years as both a legislative director and as a resident of Alston Brighton, I've come to realize that we, we need someone who can walk and chew gum at the same time here. Because if one person is calling your office saying, hey, I've got a pothole in my street, you call 311, you call ISD, you call DPW and you get it fixed. But if 50 people are calling your office saying that their roads look like the surface of the moon, then there's clearly a larger systemic issue at play and you need to start incorporating a policy and a systemic response to these issues. And so I think the biggest lesson that I took away from my time at the city council is that we spend so much time siloing our issues and siloing the people who handle those issues that we end up doing a further disservice to the people who are experiencing the impacts of that policy. So we need to do a lot more to make sure that we're bringing not only communities together, but bringing departments together and bringing the city council together because that's the only way that we're actually going to be able to make an impact on these issues. You know, I, I'm i kind of struck by, I'm, I'm thinking back uh, actually when uh, Liz uh, Braden first ran, she was saying a lot of the same things that, that you were. Yeah. Uh, talking about, uh, you know, bringing people together and, and uh, uh, you know, I think she was focused on open space issues mm -hmm. amongst, uh, and housing issues as well. But, uh, uh, what happens to city councilors up there? Do they, uh, <laughs> you know, and this past couple of years uh, has been, there's been some very, you know, nasty yeah. charges and counter charges. You know, some people would ask, and I ask just about everybody that comes in, why would you want to go up there and, and get yourself in the middle of that? Yeah. And are you prepared for that? Uh, you know, there's been oh, yeah. 
uh, charges of uh, you know racism, bigotry, you name it. Uh, <laughs> some very nasty things. It said. really has been nasty. I mean, look, I, you know, I grew up online. I've been calling oh all the worst terrible things by like xx underscore game freak xx by yeah. you know random yeah. people online yeah. all my life. Yeah. So when it comes to the nasty divisiveness, I really don't let that stuff get to me. Not to get all nerdy, but one thing that Ted Kennedy at his 1980 DNC speech said that is we have to understand that we need to take our issues seriously without taking ourselves too seriously. I think that's a part of the problem. Um, but when it comes to how divisive the city council is now, I'm really proud of the time that I was there with the city council mm -hmm. because we were able to get through a lot of <coughs> really important and, and somewhat divisive issues right. with... And Councilor Mejia was right in the middle of some of this stuff. Yeah, know? well, I think of a really great example being the uh, the response to the potential uh, BPS takeover through receivership. Right. So that was an issue that we saw a lot early in 2022. was popping up all the time. Desi was making threats as to whether or not they wanted to place BPS in receivership. Uh, myself, along with another, uh, a number of education advocates, realize that that's probably not the best move for BPS right now. You know, one of BPS's biggest issues is that there's a constant rotation of administrative personnel. Right. So do, taking that and doing the same thing with Desi isn't going to fix any problems. So we drafted a resolution, and the resolution said plainly that the Boston City Council opposes receivership. And that was not a unanimous issue on the City Council. There was a lot of debate. There was mm -hmm. a lot of back and forth. But because we are working to engage not only the council, but the staff, and not just both of them, but the people as well, we were able to get that resolution passed unanimously. And so I think that goes to show that when you're genuine and enthusiastic and curious and open-minded about engaging with people on the issues that matter to them most, you're actually able to make some really important impact. And the only other thing I want to add to that is for every crazy headline that you see going on in the Boston Globe, calling the city council a, a clown show or whatever it is that they're calling them, there are staffers working behind the scenes who work incredibly long hours for incredibly little, little pay. They're the ones who are answering the phones. <coughs> they're the ones who are responding to constituent needs. They're the ones who, at least in my inst instance, are the ones who are drafting the legislation that the city council then goes to deliberate. They work really hard, and I want to uplift their work because the more that we're able to work in the spirit that they do, which is collaboration, good communication, and a dedication to the community, I think the better off that the city council will be. Well, uh, you know, you're going to have your your hands full. No uh, kidding. You know, <laughs> um, you know, it's it's not for everybody, and district city councilors, uh, in particular, I think, are called on. You know, they're doing like double duty because oh, yeah. every single thing that goes on mm -hmm. uh, uh, people are, are calling are you uh, prepared for that you uh, the, ready for the rigors of uh, uh, political life uh, oh absolutely being on call 24 7 I mean I set out when I started this campaign I said I want to run my mm -hmm. campaign like I'm already in office because I want to show people <coughs> what it's like when you have a city councilor who is open and enthusiastic and open-minded about addressing the issues mm -hmm. with the community. So back in April, we did an accessibility town hall, and the goal of that conversation was to bring together advocates and members of the public to talk about what we need to do to make our community more accessible <coughs> and inclusive and welcoming. And I'm actually really proud to say that after that, the city of Boston started doing a whole bunch of accessibility-themed events in the neighborhood. So clearly that when you're uh, being proactive and when you're leading on the issue, you're able to get a lot of really cool things done. I also mentioned, I think previously, we did a tenants' rights information session in the neighborhood. Uh, we helped raise $1,500 for the Austin Brighton Food Pantry um, by do, putting on the best drag show in the entire neighborhood. So uh, we've been doing a lot throughout the campaign beyond just, you know, knocking on doors and asking people for money to really show people that, like, if you're, if you feel like the status quo isn't working for you, yeah. there's an option for you yeah. in this race. And how has the campaign been going? Are there any uh, key issues that have really popped up that oh, have really, yeah. you know, helped to uh, define the race? And uh, how's it going? You know, it's... Uh, 
It's one thing to govern, it's another thing to get elected. Uh, Very true. Yeah. Yeah, uh, the campaign has been going fantastic so far. We've been knocking doors since, uh, since uh, June, and the response so far has been really positive. Um, you know, so far, obviously, unsurprisingly, the biggest issues in the neighborhood are housing and rats. Yeah. Um, but beyond that, there are also a number of issues that I feel like deserve to be uplifted. Alston Brighton is an artist neighborhood, but there are so few resources in the neighborhood to actually go to support artists. Um, I think that we need to start thinking a lot more critically Moving beyond the conversation of just artists live workspace and thinking about how are we ensuring that every new space in the neighborhood is designed in a way that could accommodate mm -hmm. artists because artists are what make our neighborhood rock. It's the best part mm -hmm. of the neighborhood as far as I'm concerned. So really uplifting the artist concern. Uh, I'm the only candidate in this race with a dedicated platform to address the rat issue, which I'm really happy. I call that the rat form. Um, <laughs> that's a really important issue. Like we're rat city for a reason, uh, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, uh, well uh, and what about it? What, what are you going to do different? Uh, yeah. Uh, you know, people have been trying to uh, rid the city of rats for decades. I know, uh, I what, feel like the Pied Piper over here. What's, what's uh, <laughs> Jacob's plan? Yeah, so, uh, you know, I wish that I could say that I had some sort of like magic and genius solution that no one's ever thought of before. It's not like that. The solutions are really simple. In the short term, we need more trash pickups in the neighborhood. Once per week is not enough. Uh, we need more municipal trash cans. Uh, there used to be a municipal trash can outside that building. They took it away. Why are we taking away trash cans in a place of Rat City? I don't know. Um, those are some short-term things. We also need you know, way more funding for ISD to make sure that they're inspecting properties in the neighborhood to ensure that they're keeping the rats out as much as possible, especially as we get closer to the winter months. I saw about three of them heading towards my apartment today. Um, and then we also have to talk about some long-term solutions. And that's why, again, I'm really happy that Mayor Wu is bringing up some zoning reform because we absolutely need zoning reform to address the rat issue. Um, if you look at the zoning code on a Friday night with a glass of Merlot, like I do, you'll find that uh, there are portions of the zoning code uh, that say in certain neighborhoods that if uh, certain buildings over a certain size, you have to have a dedicated trash disposal unit on site. But when you look at Alston Brighton zoning code, nothing like that exists. So it's literally as simple as a matter of copying, pasting a portion of the zoning code from one area to another. It's just we haven't done that mm -hmm. yet. Are you uh, somebody that can work with Mayor Wu? Uh if you don't, what if you don't get your way? What are you going to do? Um, to me, it's not about getting my way. It's about doing what's right for the people. I never do anything. Oh, I appreciate it. But like, I never do anything that isn't, doesn't have eyes on it from the community. When I was working with Councilor Mejia's office, we designed a policy process, which we called community-centered design. And that's because anything that we're putting forward, it's not solely my idea. Or honestly, it's rarely ever my idea at all. It's normally what a coalition of people have voice to us as a major issue in our neighborhood. And so it's a lot hard, it, you know, you could ignore me as a city councilor. It's a lot harder to ignore the 50 people I just brought into the room with me. Oh, there you go. Well, I want to wish you the best of luck. Thank uh, you again. I really uh, appreciate Jacob it. Jacob DeBlaycourt uh, making his first run for uh, public office, uh, running in District 9 uh, against uh, Liz Braden. And of course, the uh, city council elections are coming up on November 7th. We're uh, previewing them, uh, talking with all the candidates uh, that we haven't already talked to, and uh, pleased to have uh, that Jacob came in tonight. Uh, in the weeks ahead, you'll meet the rest of the uh, candidates on the ballot. That's it for tonight. We're out of time. Uh, for the entire staff and crew here at BNN, I'm Joe Heisler. Thank you for watching Talk to the Neighborhoods. Have a pleasant evening.